This podcast is made possible by Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield, the whole health company. Welcome to Go Bronx Podcast, Episode 10. I'm Olga Luce. We're less than a week away from Election Day, which got us thinking. 100 years ago, we were dealing with similar issues we are today. In 1920, the country had seen an increase in the voter rolls due to the ratification of the 19th Amendment. And today, reports indicate that a record number of traditional non-voters have registered to vote, some for a very similar reason. They seek change. Additionally, we are casting our ballots during a global pandemic, COVID-19. Though in 1920, the Spanish flu had been declared defeated six months prior, its impact was still being felt by the time voting day arrived. These are contentious times, but what about then? What role did women play in shifting the political narrative? What role did the Bronx play? I've invited Susan Olson, Director of Historical Services at Woodlawn Cemetery to guest host with me today as we delve into voting day of 20, that is 1920. Welcome, Susan, and thank you for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Let's talk about some of the issues that dominated particularly women in the 20th century. Well, I think contrary to popular belief, we've all been celebrating 1920-2020. New York women actually got the vote in 1917, and they were able to first cast their ballots in 1918. And what's been astounding to me in researching this is to realize how serious people took it. The total number of registered women voters, total number of registered voters that year was 1,014,305, that's New Yorkers, with 414,70,69 being women. Almost half the voters were registered women that year. So given the opportunity, everybody jumped to get registered. And in New York State, our voters for their first time again were able to vote for the governor. And they pushed out of office the Republican, who was Charles Whitman, and they elected the Democrat, Alfred E. Smith. So the women were actually be able to, to change the New, York's, the New York's leadership, which was fantastic. The issues of the day, as far as women went, were temperance and prohibition. Alcohol consumption was a big problem. Childcare was an issue. And of course, in the wake of things like the Triangle Fire, it was working women in their working conditions. And those were the things that dominated the high, the headlines. Those were the issues for women at that time period. Though some of the women's issues were temperance, Smith was a staunch opponent to prohibition, no? That was so funny. I went back and looked him up and he was serving cocktails at the governor's mansion in 1920. But keep in mind, the first vote for him was prior to the passing of prohibition and the women wanted Whitman out. They wanted Smith in. They wanted change. Well, Congress passed the bill giving women the right to vote on June 4th, 1919. The 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution was ratified on August 18th, 1920, just in time for women to get to the polls in November. What I did was I looked at what the headlines were for that time period. We know that women first cast their ballot on a national lever on November 2nd, 1920. And what I did was I pulled some of the headlines and it was women voters 
prove wonderfully efficient in recording the ballot. People were wondering whether or not women could handle this, whether or not they could figure out how to fill it out. Despite huge list, again, that was the registered voter list, less friction noted by officials at voting places. Father watches baby while mother votes. Women voters figure only as mathematical influence, 26 million who will cast first ballots for president today, ignored in campaign so far as changing great issues is concerned. There was really kind of a worry whether women would vote as a block and if they could totally change the nation, but they didn't campaign based upon women's issues. Thousands carry lunches to the polls. Not one serious disturbance reported in greatest voting day in New York City history. Women show intense interest in election. Nearly 100% of the vote is cast. This was what amazed me most that back then, you know, we're lucky if we get 50% of our registered voters out. Back then, if you registered, you voted, you took it seriously. I cannot imagine today. New York City people saying, I don't care how long I have to stand in line, I'm back at a lunch, I'm going. We get there and if we don't get to vote in two minutes, we're irritated and out the door. In the Bronx, the early rush was so great that some officials asked the Board of Elections for additional voting booths. Consistently in the Bronx, it was again, after World War I, many military people came and settled in the Bronx after they came home from war. And of course, just like today, the new immigrant population was very high. So for our new citizens, it was great pride in voting. And for our return veterans, there was tremendous pride in voting. And the highest voter turnout was in the Bronx 100 years ago, which I think is just an amazing thing. And I hope we bring that about today. In the Bronx, one third of the entire registered vote had been polled by 10 o'clock in the morning. In that borough, double lines had been forming in front of most of the voting places. And in some districts, it was the local boards were overwhelmed. I, again, I had such Bronx pride when I read that, that we were the best, best turnout. And let's hope we do that again. I think we will. But many women during the late 19th century and early 20th century were highly motivated and became politically active. Some of those sheroes are interred at the legendary Woodlawn Cemetery. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about some of the notable advocates and political figures of Woodlawn. The world has changed a lot in the last year, and more than ever, you need health insurance you can rely on. Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield is the whole health company, and that means they are dedicated to improving the health and well-being of everyone in the Bronx and throughout the New York service area. They've been supporting the health of Bronxites for 86 years, providing you access to high-quality, affordable care. To learn how you can make a whole health connection, go to empireblue.com. Sigourney Weaver here to tell you about the New York Botanical Garden, 250 acres, 1 million plants, and you. Now open in the Bronx. Plan your visit at nybg.org. City Bike is expanding to the Bronx. Membership is only $179 annually. New Yorkers who live in NYCHA or receive SNAP benefits can take advantage of the discounted City Bike membership for only $5 a month. Visit citybikenyc.com pricing to get started. 
Susan, talk to me about some of the notables interred at Woodlawn Cemetery that played a role during the 1920 historic vote. I think one of the things I loved about this research was it's no different than today. We highlight celebrities when they go to the polls, who's in the voting booth. You know, we'll know when Trump goes to vote and Biden goes to vote. Well, one of the great characters is Elizabeth Marbury. She was mainly known as a theatrical agent and she really fought the fight for the rights of artists and playwrights, et cetera. And she was good friends with Eleanor Roosevelt. In 1919, and again, it was a, not a presidential year, she showed up at the polls in her big touring car with her two Pomeranian dogs, campaign posters. And as she explained, she said, the dogs will bark, people will look at the posters, and then they'll go vote for her candidate. One of the things that really touched me was LaGuardia. LaGuardia at the time in 1919 was a major. He had just come back from service. He had his young wife, who is interred at Woodlawn, and they voted in a tailor shop, which surprised me, because one of the things I thought when I was researching, you know, in the Bronx, I go to PS19, that's where I vote. Where did people vote in 1919? Did you go to the schools? Did you go to government buildings? Several people voted in tailor shops, and his was one flight up, and it was on East 12th Street. He was downtown. He was, LaGuard he was running for the position of president of the Aldermanic Board. We know that he rose from the very bottom of politics to the mayor of New York City, but was tracked even as early as 1919 as being an upcoming star. Uh, judges, of course, like Erwin Untermeyer went to the polls. He was, the reports of him, he was laughing and joking with the poll workers again, coming from the famous Untermeyer family. He was a candidate for justice of the Supreme Court, voted at 8.53 in the morning at a polling booth at West End Avenue and 83rd Street. So again, we're tracking our celebrities no matter what. In 1920, the year when women were voting across the nation, all eyes were on Carrie Chapman Catt and Mary Garrett Hay, the two women who led the suffragette movement. The League of Women Voters, when women first got the right to vote, they were the head of the movement. And it just tickled me that somebody who had fought such a fight, Carrie Chapman Catt even gave one of Elizabeth Cady Stanton's eulogies. She was nervous when she voted and she failed on her first ballot and had to fill out a second one. And it just tickled me to no end that you know she made this mistake. It was reported in the Atlanta Constitution to know how big these women were and the pride. It was newspapers all over the country that talked about them getting to the poll. And Kat went on to comment how women were getting over their feelings of being strangers in the voting booths and that men no longer felt uneasy to have them there. So there was this little nervousness the first time you cast a ballot and whether or not the men would accept you standing in line with them. But all the accounts are that it was civil and social and just again, 100% voter turnout. In 1920, some sections of the Bronx, women voters outnumbered the men, three to one girls, three to one. One of the articles about Woodlawn voters posted in 1948 in the Baltimore newspapers, the African-American newspaper, is that Duke Ellington's famous head trumpet player, Cootie Williams, was determined to register to vote 
it astounds me that in the Black Lives Matter era, that this, this issue has carried, you know, here we are 60, 70 years later, what Cootie Williams had to go through to get registered. He was determined to get to vote, cost him $100 as he got a speeding ticket on the way. He twisted his ankle, had to go to the doctor, had another bill and had a fender bender when he parked the car. Uh, to, in today's dollars, he spent $3,000 in damages getting the right to vote. Wow, that was some expensive and not to mention painful vote. So just to let our listeners know, the aforementioned Elizabeth Marbury, Fiorella LaGuardia, Erwin Untermeyer, Carrie Chapman Catt, Mary Garrett Hay, and Duke Ellington, they are all interred at Woodlawn, right? That's correct. And I think what astounds me is that all these people who were contemporaries, colleagues, et cetera, decided that they would all rest together in the Bronx. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to find out what women voted for women. Get it, baby, get it! And now for a little segment we like to call Yo Angel. Yo Olga. The high bridge that spans the Harlem River is the oldest in the city. But what was the real significance of it besides its age? Dating back to the 18th century, New York City had dealt with cholera epidemics and a lack of adequate water to fight fires. Plans for a new water supply were fiercely pursued by the 1830s. The Bronx River, our city's only fresh body of water, was once considered a possible water supply for the city before the Croton Aqueduct system was created. Well, the Croton Aqueduct utilized the Croton watershed of Upper Westchester County to transport water south to the city. Prior to this, New Yorkers had to draw well water or purchase it from street vendors. New Yorkers celebrated the arrival of the Croton water in July 1842 at the Croton Distributing Reservoir or the Murray Hill Reservoir, now the site of the New York Public Library on 42nd Street. Later on that year, a former celebratory opening occurred where people drank Croton cocktails, a mixture of Croton water and lemonade. The high bridge is one of the most impressive parts of the system. Constructed high above the Harlem River in 1848, the bridge connected the underground aqueducts from Westchester all the way down to Manhattan, carrying water to downtown reservoirs. Parks would be created on both sides of the bridge. With its beautiful vistas along the River Harlem, High Bridge became a recreational attraction where even Edgar Allan Poe, once a Bronx resident, traversed a couple of times. Today, the High Bridge is open to the public and still contains the large tubes that once fed Manhattan fresh water, thus expanding development into the northern regions of the island. As the demand for water rapidly increased, a water tower was constructed in the 1870s on the Manhattan side of the High Bridge. Its purpose was to hold over 47,000 gallons of water that was pumped in it from a reservoir near it. Although no longer in use, the High Bridge still stands as an engineering marvel and a symbol of Bronx pride and industry. And now you know. Susan, in 1920, New York women actually got to vote for a woman. Tell us about that. This is one of the things that really surprised me, Olga, and I'm not going to take credit for this. 
Woodlawn has a fleet of volunteer researchers. And when you invited me to come on with you, it was like, okay, guys, see what you can dig up. And one of the things that really blew me away is that Marion Lang was the first socialist legislator to hold office. And she was elected to the New York Assembly and was from the Bronx, from the fifth district. We also know that on that first ballot in 1920 or on the 1920 ballot, there was a woman who was running for secretary of state, Harriet Mills, and she was of Syracuse. So what happened was she was a leading suffragist and the suffragists said, not only let's vote, let's put some of us up for election. Unfortunately, she didn't win, but at the same point to know that everyone was feeling so good about the process that they were ready to push their colleagues and the sisters that they marched with to go ahead and run. Let's not just talk about the issues. Let's go there and be in leadership positions. Really pretty exciting. And as far as my volunteers could determine, this was the first time there was a woman who appeared on the major party ballot for a statewide office in New York State. She lost to John Lyons, and we don't know much about Lyons or his policies, but we know he owned a chop house on West 50th Street downtown in Manhattan. So we still have that situation where popular business owners can pull an election. What we know is that the president who was elected uh, in 1920 was Warren G. Harding. Harding is considered probably the most corrupt president in United States history. When you go on that list of who's the worst president, Harding always makes it up to the top. He's buried in Ohio. Um, most presidents, of course, are buried in their home state, uh, where their presidential libraries are, where their families are. And of course, one of the ones that strays from that is Ulysses S. Grant. He was from Illinois, but he's buried here in New York City. Oh, that's interesting. How many other political figures are interred at Woodlawn? It's astounding how many people from city aldermen to judges that are appointed and elected. We only have one presidential candidate. Our highest ranking public official is Charles Evans Hughes. And of course, as we're looking at this year's election, he was chief justice of the United States Supreme Court, ran against Woodrow Wilson in 1916 and lost. We have lots of cabinet members of Cleveland administration, various administrations, but we also have seven mayors of New York City. And it's Brady, Havemeyer, Gilroy, Strong, Van Wyck, and John Perroy Mitchell. And of course, the most famous of the group, which is Fiorello LaGuardia. What LaGuardia's grave reads, statesman humanitarian, does not read mayor of New York City. And you'd think all these guys would say mayor of New York City. The only one that says mayor is Gilroy. And I don't think that many people remember what Gilroy did. Havermeyer's an interesting one. He's the only one who died in office. And he literally died in the mayor's office. He had a heart attack and died right there in the chair. Where we found a lot of our elected officials, again, our research volunteers do that. But there's a wonderful website called Political Graveyards that lists everybody that ever ran. What surprised me is Joseph Pulitzer actually ran for office and was elected to the Missouri State Legislature. He came to New York City uh, basically during the Civil War and came as an immigrant, signed up uh, because he received a stipend to travel to America to fight for the Union. 
and decided that politics was where he wanted to go after the war was over. And so he served in the museum, Missouri legislature. And then of course, later on realized there was more power if you were a newspaper publisher than if you were a politician. The other very powerful character was Thomas Nast. Nast became United States counsel. It, uh, he was an appointed position, but he's known for making the cartoons of the donkey and the elephant. And of course, if he was after you as a politician, the cartoons were ruthless. So again, two guys who realized that the power was with the media, not with being the elected official. So Susan, how can we find out about some of the other historic notables interred at Woodlawn? Uh, go to our website, go to www.woodlawn.org and you'll find that not only is there a listing of our tours and programs, but there's also several lists of famous people. I also recommend that you go to Political Graveyard or go to findagrave.com. If you're interested in finding where people are memorialized and you wanna visit them or learn about them, any of these websites will help you out as you remember those who went before us. But go to woodlawn.org and you can see lots of lists. And of course, you wanna learn about Elizabeth Cady Stanton Alva Belmont and Carrie Chapman Cat as we head towards this historic election in 2020. That is great. Thank you so much, Susan, for being our guest today. It this has been incredibly enlightening. Uh, and go vote. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Olga. And I think this is a great demonstration of Bronx pride. I'm proud to be a Bronxite. And even though I'm working remote, I'm proud to cast my ballot today. So everybody get out the vote. Great. Well, that's our show this week. Thank you all for tuning in to our Go Bronx pod produced by the Bronx Tourism Council and made possible by Blue Cross Blue Shield, the whole health company. Additional support is provided by NYC and Company. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GoBXPod. If you like us, tell your friends. And if they already like us, make some new friends and then tell them. For more information about this episode and more, visit GoBronxPod.com. And while you're there, subscribe to our e-newsletter to get the latest and greatest news from and about the Bronx. As always, I'm Olga Luce, Bronxfully yours.